Okay, anyway, the Ramchal is now speaking about uh, the divine providence, supervision of uh, God as the overseas man. And um, I had mentioned uh, very importantly that you have many different topics about Hashkafa, which I went over last week and so on, you know. And the main idea is that this world exists, when you think about it, for two reasons. One, is that God creates the entire creation to do what? Because you need to remove what I call Namadik Sufa, which is the bread of shame. Therefore, you need to create, you need to create your own future world. You have to earn it. It cannot be a gift. It has to be a reward in response to actions that you've taken. <clears throat> uh, so that's the first fundamental reasons why you have this world. Because remember, you have this world, of course, and you have the next world. In other words, existence is in two stages. There's this world, Oilam Hazeh, and the next world, world which is Ilm Habo, the primary concept, of course, is Ilm Habo, and that determines everything that exists in this world. <coughs> you see. So, uh, so a person has to, the task of a person is this world. <coughs> now, and I mentioned also the second principle, is that God decides based on the majority of a person's deeds, actions, where he goes. If the majority of a person's deeds is bad, right, <clears throat> then he will be annihilated. That is the end of people whose majority of deeds, whether it be qualitatively or quantitatively, he dies. Dies doesn't mean dies. He's annihilated, which means that he ceases to exist. That's the deal. If a person's majority is good, either in quality or quantity, you know, whatever that means, I mentioned that last week, and so on, you know, then he is prepared for the future world. That's the deal, you see? So, <clears throat> that's the two extremes. You either exist, or you do not exist. There is no middle. And everything has to be settled by the time, basically, that Oilam Habo begins, the future world. However, there's a problem, and that's another reason why this world has to exist. What's the problem? The problem is, what happens if a guy, the majority of his deeds are good, but uh, he's got a you know, minority of evil, or I should say bad, you know? And if you think about it, there's only three possibilities. Either a guy, all his deeds are good, whatever good means, if you remember what I said, right? Or all his deeds are bad, you know? against the will of God, right? Or he's got half and half, right? Or whatever, right? I should say that he, he's got either all are good, all are bad, or there's a majority of good or bad. So the question is, what do you do with the minority of somebody who has a majority of good or bad? That's the problem, you see? So if he's all good, no problem. He will, be this, he, he will get Oilam Habob. If he's got all bad, he's gone, right? When he dies, when God decides to take him out, he's obliterated, annihilated, existentially, right? But what about those people that have majorities, right? And they have minorities. There's majority deeds, and there's minority deeds, you see? So what does God do? Let's assume a guy has a majority of good, but he has a minority of sins. 
You know? But what, so what do you do? Now one possibility, there's two possibilities if you think about it. Yeah, there's really three. But anyway, one is that you can just balance it out and say, okay, let's say the guy did 80% good and 20% bad. Whatever the weight is, right? Whatever, it doesn't make a difference, right? So one possibility is, is 80% good, 20% bad, right? Is the 20, you balance it out where you take the guy's 80% and it goes down to 60. You know what I'm saying? In other words, the bad actually removes part of the good. So that's, that's a balancing act, right? That's a possibility, right? Where the bad can de reduce or deduct from the good. That's a possibility. But that, that doesn't make any sense, you see? Because justice says what you did, you have to get, there has to be consequences. So if I got 80% good, what do you mean? You can't walk over and deduct 20%. There's no justice in that, you see? So that's a possibility, but that's not the way God operates, okay? Another possibility is where God says, hey, you did 80%, you got the majority, so you're a member of Oilem Habo, and we'll just forget about the 20% evil. Forget about it, right? No. God does not uh, ignore any deed that a person does. And what I mean, he doesn't ignore any deed. I'm talking about the nth degree. When a person does a deed, think about that, right? There's a whole bunch of factors that go in. One, what's his motive? You don't even see his motive. What's he thinking about when he's doing the sin? Let's say, right? That's the first idea. The second idea is like, you know, what's the circumstances that brought him to do the sin? You see? Different circumstances exist for different people. Some people did a sin because it was hard for them, right, to say no because they were a group of with, they were with a group of people. They were sinning, and he couldn't say no because he felt he was worried about peer approval. You see, but not because he wanted to do it. You see, so that's certainly different motive or thought than somebody just went and did it. You see? So you've got to examine the motive. You have to examine the circumstances in which the sin was done, right? Then you have to examine what? You know, the, what do you call it? The, um, the, uh, the quality of the sin. Which sin? The quality, how big is the sin? Severe. You know what I'm saying? And, could he, and could, could he have prevented it? Or he was, you know, he couldn't have prevented it. There are so many factors. When a person sins, there are so many factors in the weight or the value of that sin. We cannot possibly know the, 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 all these, uh, the, these different variables. We can't know that. Only God can know exactly what are all the variables in a sin or vice versa. What are all the variables in a mitzvah, a good deed? You see? So, therefore, like I said, you know, that God should uh, just ignore the evil and just say, okay, you did the majority, so you get in. No, because the attribute of justice would be flawed. F-L-A-W-E-D. Okay? It would be flawed. You can't do that. You know, it's not, it, first of all, because guys could be screaming, those people who did the majority bad, they'd be screaming at the top of their lungs, wait a minute, you forgave this guy, who cares if it's the minority, you know? Forgive me. And let's assume a guy did 51% bad. 
I mean, he's, he's missing it by 1%, right? He's going to be screaming at the top of his lungs, so forgive 1%. Come on. You forgive the other guy. Guy has a majority of what? 80, right? You forgave his 20, right? Or you, by me, you just have to forgive 2% and I'm in. You see, I, I mean, it, it would be impossible. You know what I'm saying? It would be such a, a ruckus that I think even God would get a headache from all this, you know? He would have to take an excedrin. You know, one of those kind of, you know. Uh, but in any case, so you can't do that. So these things, you cannot balance it by reducing the good, take away some of the good because of the evil. No, right? And the second thing is you can't just dismiss the evil. Can't do that. Every single, or, you know, uh, every single thing must be weighed exactly what was done. And God, of course, knows exactly all the variables of which we cannot even fathom. You see, and he weighs it, and everything has to be compensated. Now that's a problem, because if the guy did 90% good, I mean, there are people out there, you know, who do tremendous amount of good. They do 90% good, but nobody's perfect, right? And they did 10% bad, right? Whatever it be, sins and so on and so forth, right? So therefore, you cannot get oilim habo with 10% bad. Why? Because the bad will interfere with the oilum habo, you see. Why will it interfere? Why would somebody's bad interfere with his oilum habo? Because you have to understand, really, in many ways, what goes on in oilum habo. Oilum habo is a place that you experience that besides God, there is nothing else. Because the, you know, the experience that you get in Ilm Habo, being attached to God, is an unbelievable understanding of who He is and who you are vis-a-vis -vis Him, you see. And a sin is the exact opposite. When a person sins, he's really expressing, Besides God, there's me and I can do whatever I want, you see. So that leads, you see, to, the, to a certain... Um, feeling of that I also exist you see that sin has repercussions so how in the world can you experience a totality of that besides God there is nothing else right when you really part of you is feeling why because I did a sin and therefore I can express I exist independent of God because I did my will you see so that's problematic and therefore, uh, somebody who has 90% of good, mitzvahs or whatever, and he's got 10% of bad, you see what I'm saying? That will severely impinge on his experience in Oilam Habo. And therefore, that cannot exist. God must take care of the 10%. If a, tzad, if a guy is a tzaddik and he's got 99% of good, 1% of bad, so you can say, well, what's the big deal? That 1% of bad is in it going to interfere in his 99% good. And therefore, the rule is, must be a perfect goodness. Shlemus, perfection. It has to be perfect. No flaws at all. No deficiencies. It's got to be an unobstructed, uninterrupted, uh, uh, experience of infinite bliss.
And therefore, that bad that he did, no matter how small it is or insignificant, must be compensated. It must be addressed. That is also why you need this world. Because it is in this world that a person can address the bad stuff that he did. You see. And the, the mechanism which we know that God uses to address bad, right, is suffering. That's the major mechanism that he uses. How does suffering work that it can atone or remove the bad? Or it can remove the concept or the feeling of besides God, besides me there's nobody else. I should say, besides God there's also me. And the answer to that, because if you think about it, what is suffering really? Suffering is proof that you're nobody. That's really what it is. A guy suffers, if you're really somebody, then why don't you stop the suffering? You see, he can't. So suffering is a person experiencing a situation that he can do nothing about, which is the greatest indicator that you're not God. Because God can stop anything. He's a kol yochel, he's omnipotent. See, so suffering is the experience of, it is a diminishment or it is a removal of the concept called Yeshad Mavada. Besides me, there's also, besides God, there's also me. That's why, that's the logic of suffering, you see. And that's why it works. It's not just because you're in pain, which is, you should know that's part of a reason. Because when, when a person does his will, right, there's a certain pleasure he gets out of sinning, right? So you have to undo that pleasure. That's true, you see. So that, that's the pain in and of itself. But it's much more than just the pain. It's also a change in your attitude that you think you're somebody and you're not. You see, because that's what suffering does. Demonstrates that you're zero. And therefore, that removes the whole concept of Yeshe Novadoi. Besides God, there's also me. See, that's the way it works. It's a mechanism. But Eino Lovado, I believe, the, the Ramchal in Das Tavunos defines it according to the Gomorrah, which means there's no power beside <coughs> the, 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 the Gomorrah in maybe the Sanhedrin, or yeah. there's no, you, there's no you mean Kishuf. power. Yeah, yeah what about no it? Power. Okay. But what the way you're describing it is more like the Hasidic. Uh, it's more what? What you just described it as, you know, there's nothing else besides God. So isn't that the more Hasidic definition? That's not what the Rambam says. Because if you say nothing else besides God, then there's no mitzvahs or Torah. How can there be? There's got to be some. There has to be some ability for us to be. Okay, you raise a good point. But there's two concepts. There are actually three. But there are two concepts in belief of who God is. The first concept that is a yichud shlitosai means he's the only one that has any power, which is what you're mentioning. The, we, the Ramchal calls it Ein Koyach Acher. There is no other force that exists. Yeah, wait. There's no other force. That's called Yichud Shlitosoy. You see? The second concept is called Yichud Metziusoy. That there is nothing besides him. Okay? And so on. So a person can believe that he's not, he's not a, he's not a Shoylet, right? He has absolutely no power. But what that means is this. It's not that he has no power. That's not the essential idea. What it really means is you are not a cause of anything. It's much more than just power. Like I can say, I'm, t 
I'm tired. I don't have any power. I don't have any. I have the koyach to get up, right? Okay, you know. But there is some type of power. I I exist. You see what I'm saying? But, no, 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 no. I, I'm talking about that is the ultimate recognition, really, of really what goes on. Yeah, it, you are, it's not that you're given power. I, I once gave a whole Shem Bechira, free will. You see, you don't have any power. The only thing you can do, and that's what free will is, it only exists in the mind. The only thing you can do that God allowed you to do independent of Him is to decide what to do. Whether you do it or not, and the power you have to do it, it's all Him. But we don't recognize that. You see? He's giving us the power, but we're... we're, we're it's, but, but Nefesh Ha'chaim, the beginning, says that He's giving man control over all the world. So no, no. That, no. no. <coughs> what the Nefesh Ha'chaim... What the Nefesh Ha'chaim is saying, that he allows man to decide what he wants to do all over the world. You're not, just, again, again, listen. What Nefesh Ha'chaim is saying is this, that he allows man to decide what he wants to do over the entire world. That's what it means, kifshuha, subdue it, right? That's the whole world. What that means is that you can make a decision on anything in the world if you want to do it. However, after the decision to be able to do anything you decided is all God infusing you with the ability. Okay. That's all. And therefore, all I'm saying is that when a person, therefore, <clears throat> uh, what, what the Surin does, it certainly means that I can't cause anything. You see, it's more than just I have no power to do it. He realizes that there's situations which can easily arise in which he has absolutely no ability to cause anything. It's not because I have no power. I'm not a real cause. If I was a real cause, I could stop these soon. And that's much more, why are you not a real cause? Okay, why is there, therefore, it doesn't say that God is the cause, but it does remove your illusion that you're a cause. And that already is sufficient to undo the, the, the sin. Anyway, in any case, so therefore, um, so therefore you, you have to have a place, what Ramchal is going to say, that you have to have a place that you can deal with the minority, you see? And the same thing exists vice versa with a person whose majority is evil, right? You can't, dis, you can't, like I say, you can't reduce his evil by saying, well, if he did good, let's say he did 80% evil, you know, and 20% good, so let's knock it off to 60%. No, same, same idea as the reverse, right? So you can't do that. Second thing is you can't ignore the good. You know, even if a guy did 99% evil, you know, and there are people, not many, but there are people that actually have achieved that result. I mean, you talk about among the greatest murderers in history, you know, you're talking about Hitler Machshima, you're talking about Mao Zedong from China, you're talking about Stalin. I mean, there, there are people that were Caligula, that we cannot even imagine the Ritzicha, the evil of these people, and so on, you know. So it doesn't make a difference. Even if he has 99% evil, he's got 1% good that has to be in some way dealt with. And therefore, this world makes it possible to deal with those minorities. 
no matter what the minority is. And that's a very important concept. And therefore, once we understand that, that the minorities have to have, minority of your deeds has to be compensated in some manner, whatever they are, then we understand why this world looks topsy-turvy. Why people who are clearly righteous suffer, you know, depending on, and only God knows exactly what they did wrong. And remember, it's not wrong in this, gener in this lifetime. God will add up all the lifetimes previously of this soul as it migrated, right, to all the lives. Remember, we're talking about Gilgal, right? We're talking about transmigration of souls, right? Reincarnations and so on. He will look at the totality of what, whatever he decides. He's okay, you have 15 lifetimes, right? I gotta balance the books. I gotta in some way deal, so he did a lot of good, great, you know? But there's still, a, whatever percentage there is, minority, that you did sins, and I'm gonna take 15 lifetimes, right? And I'm gonna do it in one shot. So you may find tremendous sadikim, you know, people who are really, you could see that they're righteous people. And all of a sudden, they suffer terribly for years, you see? So that idea, of course, is that they're suffering for years, right? In order to atone and to rid themselves of all the bad, so when they go into Ilam Haba, they're completely clean, there's no more, uh, what do you call it, uh, com complaint that justice has. You know, what are you doing? There's almost, you know, and so on. And, and that, that's how they get cleaned up and so on, you know. And vice versa, you know. There are people, you know, that they, they it's, it's almost like they have the Midas, King Midas. Remember the legend of King Midas? Whatever he touched turned to gold. Whatever they touch, they're successful. They're worth hundreds of millions of dollars. Whatever they touch is incredible, right? And they're bad people. They're really bad people. Why are they so successful then? You know, same idea, you know? Because God judges them. The majority of all their lives, right, is evil. Therefore, they cannot get Oilim Habo. They have to be annihilated in the end of time. However, God says, yeah, but you gotta, you know, I, but I have to give you good because justice cannot be denied. And as a result of that, right, they will come back in a lifetime and they'll, it'll be just incredible to watch them. They, you know, they can never fail, you know. It doesn't mean that they live totally charmed lives, no. But basically, they have great situations, you know, and it just happens overnight. Like that guy, I'm not saying he was evil, don't get me wrong, but the guy who, who just won the $1.6 billion lottery, you know, I'm still trying to figure out what in the world can this guy have done to win 1.6 billion. I, it's like, I, I, that's like a sum of money which boggles the mind. You know, it's like, what, it's like 16,000 millions? I mean, it's like, like the guy can spend that in 50 lifetimes. He can spend it in one, you know? I don't know, but I'm, I'm not, don't get me wrong, I'm saying he was evil and this is his compensation. Maybe, who knows? But I tell you one thing, I tell you one thing, you know, he should be very worried about his future life. That's what I was gonna <laughs> he should be very worried because that has to mean something about his previous lives and where he's headed in the future. You know what I'm saying? You know, I mean, uh, do you, who was the guy who won? It was anonymous? I don't know a guy. Yeah, of course he's anonymous. You imagine uh, four million Schlichen would be coming running to him, you know? Uh, all, all charity collectors and so on, you know? Um, 
We get 10%. 160 million dollars. Yeah, but then keeping su- such a big sum, maybe he's losing his llama No, not necessarily. That could be his. That could what? He can learn for the rest of life. Yeah, I mean, it depends what he does with it. You know, he doesn't have to spend it on uh, going to Bermuda on the beach. I mean, whatever you consider to be a great time. You know. If he just keeps it in his bank and he doesn't live, you know, luxuriously, Look, I don't understand people that are worth a billion dollars, because that kind of money, the two, well, they're always looking at it, but. I mean, that kind of money is awesome. I mean, a billion dollars is a thousand, a thousand, uh, what do you call it, a thousand millions. You can't spend that kind of money, you know. So, you know, you, you can, you, a guy with that kind of money can support every yeshiva on the planet for years, you know. You have any idea what his reward would be? You know, but probably the problem is they don't deserve that reward. So God doesn't put that in their mind, you know. But if a guy did have that, you know, it would be incredible. So you have a bunch of these guys, right, whatever, and they're doing incredible. But they have to be very, you know, they have to really worry in terms of, you know, maybe I'm collecting my reward here, and when I get there, it's all over, you know? Uh, but, um, they're, very wealthy, they're very wealthy Jews. What was that? They're very wealthy Jews that use it correctly. They, yeah, oh yeah, yeah. So in that situation, you know, it could be because God, that is their situation, that's called their test situation. You know, it's not their reward, but it's, that is there because, let's face it, somebody's got to be worth that kind of money just to even out, you know, even out the plan. You know what I'm saying? And it could be their test situation. With that kind of money, the next thing they go to is they want power. You look at the candidates. Yeah, well, that's... They got the money now, they want to run Yeah, could be. But they're not necessarily, you know, there's some people who are very wealthy and they do, and, they, and they're great. They give tremendous amount of tzedakah and chesed. They use it uh, really to further uh, Judaism, further mitzvahs, tikkun, whatever, you know. Or what? The Yeah, yeah, what's his name? Not just the Rothschilds. He was even greater, what's his name? Uh, Eretz Yisrael, um, Montefiore, yeah. Montefiore, yeah, he was incredible what he did with his money, you know. He bought so much land in Eretz Yisrael in order for Jews to be able to move there. I mean, some people are just extraordinary with their wealth, you know, and so on, you know. But anyway, so therefore, we now have an understanding, you know. This world is a world of test, and it's also a world where the minority of your deeds has to be compensated in one way or the other. See? And that's really why you find this world is topsy-turvy. It doesn't make sense. Like I say, you know, because we don't have the whole cheshben. We don't see 6,000 years. We have no idea, you know, uh, you know, why a person is going through this. But clearly it has to do in some way. It's, it's, the, it's the minority that is being dealt with, you know, and not the majority. The majority is ilim habo, you know, or, or annihilation. It is the minority that has to be dealt with and that's why you see all the successes, successes and failures of this world. That's what you really see, you know. And that's really the fundamental principle. It's really very simple. And it also answers the famous problem of theodicy. Uh, you know, the famous problem of the theodicy um, 
it's, it's, uh, which all philosoph philosophers grappled with and so on, you know? You know, the, the problem of good and evil. Why is it, you see, you know, in Ramesh Rabbeinu? Russia, you see a Russia, evil person, and Toivloi, he, he's doing great. And Sadik Veraloi, you have a Sadik Veraloi, and he's having a terrible time, you see. And terrible time means many, many things. There are many multitude ways that a Sadik can suffer. You know, it's not just health, you know, it's Parnosa, health, you know, uh, and so on. Um, but but there, there's many other things that also can result also in punishment and so on, you know. Uh, I just give you one example. For instance, let's say this guy in one Gilgal, you know, uh, he had a great head, and uh, he had uh, he had parents of tremendous Talmud Chacham, his father, or he had a tremendous Rebbe, and he could have learned tremendously. You see, and the guy goofed off, played around, didn't do anything. He learned, but nowhere near what his capacity was. You know, so in many ways, he's a tremendous Talmud Chacham. He's a tzaddik. But based on the who he is, God knows that he could have done much more. So what did God do? You see? And that's a sin based on what he could have done. It's a shortcoming. You see? So what happens is God brings him back, right? And all of a sudden he's learning. He's got a major handicap in learning. He can't learn. So his suffering is that now he wants to learn. He can't. He suffers. You see? And the reason why he suffers, I'm not saying, it's not the only reason, obviously, you know, there are many other reasons, but it's a classic, you know, where he has tremendous amount of handicaps or whatever, and part of the reason is because, hey, when you could have learned, you didn't. And now you want to learn, you're not. Or it's going to be very difficult. And that's an undoing of a lifetime of, you know, a certain amount of success, but nowhere near what you could have done. He could have fulfilled incredible potential. You didn't. So now, you, it's going to be very difficult for you to learn, you see? And that's, so that's suffering in Torah, you see? <clears throat> and so on. There's, there's, it's like, it's almost infinite ways, you know? There's certain Tamid Chachomim, right? And there's Zoycha to write, 200 Tzvarim. You ever see these people? 200 Tzvarim, you know? Like, Shlomo Kluger, you know, he's a guy was a goinadir, tremendous goin, you know. I think he wrote uh, uh, over 350 svarim. Incredible, you know. And then you see Tamidi Chachomim, who are big Tamidi Chachomim, right? They can't even get a safer out. And not only that, they're completely ignored. Nobody ever heard of them, you see. Nobody thinks about their Torah, you know. So as a Tamid Chachom, he can be successful but he's not successful in any way where people will talk about him, talk about his Torah, and therefore he gets a merit because they talk about his Torah. You see? And he's just not successful. He can't make it. You know what I'm saying? Even, even in Tamid HaChomim that basically are good, there's such a vast difference in that slocha of one as opposed to the other. You see? And that, that's all part of the cheshbon of which we have no idea what goes on. You see? You know, then there's a guy who's a Rosh Shiva who's not so great, and he's got a yeshiva of a thousand guys. How did that happen? You know? I mean, he's, he's okay, he's good, but they don't deserve this in terms of his, his level of scholarship, you know? 
And all of a sudden he goes around collecting money. He says, okay, no problem. The guy gets a million dollars here, a million dollars there. I said, what's going on here? And then there's guys who are going them. I mean, tremendous people, you know. They can't, they can't raise a copper copic. You know, they walk away with a $15 donation or something like that, you know. And, and this guy's a tremendous time to talk. You see, you know, you look at this world, it's like, excuse me, what is going on here? You see what I'm saying? This is all part of the cheshbon. Because we don't know. Now, I'm not saying it's because he sinned. You know, you know, it could be part of the test. Not as an undoing of sin. That's always a possibility. You see? But there's such a vast difference in, in the success and failure of people. You know? And we're talking about Tamid HaChomim. You know? There's such a difference in, in the success of these people. Like I say, you know... Uh, and, and so on. And the same thing with the evil, you know? Some people are bad, they're really bad, you know? And some guys are able to do their bad. They're able to get away with this. You know, I once mentioned Hitler, Maxima, you know? You know? I mean, God was, he saved the man. You know how many times he saved Hitler? You know what I'm saying? Everybody was, the, the army was after this guy. I want to kill the guy. There were so many attempts on Hitler's life, you know? And they all failed. Why did they fail? Because God wanted Hitler alive. You see, because apparently it was on the agenda of God. We don't know why. Whatever. I mean, there are thoughts about that, why and so on. But, you know. And God said, listen. You know, I could see. Hitler was a very unusual person. Very hard to find a guy that's so evil. And God needed that evil in Hitler to, do his, to, to uh, uh, comply with his agenda. Of course, Hitler had free will. You know. But God allowed him to do his evil because it accommodated, it conformed to the agenda of God. Then there are guys who want to do evil, right? They, they can't. They're not given the success to do evil. God actually blocks them from doing the evil. You see, which is interesting because maybe they were good at a certain point and God, hey, you chose to do evil, which is no good. But God says, hey, you know, I want to save you. So I'm not going to allow you to do the evil that would really get you out of everything, really annihilate you. So somewhere in the past, this guy has some type of merit, maybe. It's a possibility. See? So God, in a certain sense, is saving him. Or maybe the people that he wants to do evil to don't deserve it. That's why he can't do the evil. It's like a, there's an infinite different variables going on here. And it doesn't make a difference with the way we see it. Whether you are religious, atheist, right? It doesn't make a difference. In, in that sense, you know, there are atheists that are incredibly successful and there are incredible tamid chachomam that are incredible failures. That's the way it works. Because, like I say, the general principle is that all of it addresses one thing. How do we deal with the minority? But not the minority of one life. How do we deal with the minority of all the lifetimes that you went through? In order that when you get to the future world, not only will you exist, but you will exist in an unbelievable uh, uh, situation, statue and so on. Yeah? Uh, a man has 49% good, 51% bad. Is it possible for a Sadiq living in his generation? For, did you say, wait, wait, what did you say, 49% good? Yes, 51% bad. Okay. 
Not no, no wait wait well, yeah it's true but that's if he remains with that when he dies. Yeah, but is it possible for a tzaddik in the generation to get him over the fifty percent goal? Yes, it is possible. Yes. Is it possible for a tzaddik in the generation to do it for the whole generation of Jews? Yes, it is, but he's got to be a real big tzaddik. Yeah, the one who is that, the one who is that was Rab Shimon Bar Yochai. Rab Shimon Bar Yochai and his son. That's what he means he can support the whole world. I mean, yeah, he said, if, uh, yeah, said he can exempt everybody from the whole, the whole world generation from, from um, punishment. They had to, he, his righteousness was so great that he can exempt, cover, you know, forget about how, but he can cover for the sins of the generation. I find it interesting that the Chafetz Chaim died in 1933. Three. Three. And that's when the Nazis came to power. Yeah, well, the, he died before that because God did not want him to see what was about. He predicted it, by the way. Yeah, he was very upset the last couple of weeks uh, in yeah. his life. He knew. In fact, he told people we're about to encounter a war which we have never seen before, that kind of a Holocaust, you know. And God took him before the war. God, you know, God does that. He doesn't want... Could you imagine what he would have felt seeing the destruction of Europe. There were many Gedolim in Europe that died right before the war. One of them was Rav Chaim Grudzinski, who was Abraham a, who was a tzaddik, he was a Godel Ador. Abraham died so he wouldn't know Asa. Correct. He murdered somebody and yeah. he was such a rush. Yeah, that, yeah, so he died, he lived to war today's partial, he lived to 175 years old, right? The last five years, because uh, that's when, uh, what's the name, Asa declared, he went public as they say, exactly. Of Kahneman, yeah. So he, Kahneman was a Talmud of the Chavetz Chaim. Yes, so I know. Yeah. He was. He's. I'm, I'm trying to illustrate that he knew even more, maybe, about the war. Who's the he? Chavetz Chaim knew even more about the war than that. Yeah. Because he called him and. Who's him? He, the Chavetz Chaim called Rabbi Kahneman and Rabbi Hanan in. Aha. Okay. Yeah. Yes. I'm going to tell you about Rabbi Hanan. Yeah. Yes. yeah. When they came, he said to Rabbi Hanan. Forget it, it's not Nagir to you. When who came? When Rabbi Hanan came, the Chaim said, it's not Nagir to you, when I'm, when I'm going to tell you. Because he died. Because he ended up dying. Yeah, he, the ninth fort in Kovna. So, so, so my point was that he, he knew more in oh, yeah. detail than... Yeah. <clears throat> yeah, what he did say, was, which is very, you know, he, what he did say to them, he said that the war of Mashiach, Goig Mogoig, is divided into three parts. Chavetz Chaim said this. Chaim said, yeah, yeah. The, uh, part one was World War One. He actually identified it. He said the war of Goyga Magog is divided into three parts in order to make it easier, so to speak, on the Jews, right? World War One was the first part, which wasn't primarily aimed at the Jews. However, it destroyed 1,500, 1,800 different uh, communities. It was, it was a wipeout. The second one, of course, was the Holocaust, which is directed against the Jews, specifically between Hitler and so on, right? Then he said that then there will be a third part, you know, he said what she said, a third goigamogoy, but he doesn't say what that will be. But he clearly said that the war goigamogoy, messianic wars, will be divided into three parts. He said that, you know, yeah. Yeah, he knew, yeah. They, he, he saw it, he saw it coming. There were many Gedoidim that knew or that saw 
what was coming, but a famous of the Chavetz Chaim that he saw, yeah. You know, because the, the, there are many reasons why the Holocaust happened, but one of them, which I'm saying now, the minority, the minority of the deeds. What God did, right, but he, 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 balanced, the he balanced the books, yeah. In other words, he had to take the minority of all the bad stuff that millions of Jews did over all their Gilgulim reincarnations. That's what he did. I mean, that's a simple reason, you know. Uh, of all 2,000 years of bad stuff that are in the minority, right, of the whole Jewish people. And in one generation, he just wiped it clean. That's, that's what he did. In other words, what I'm saying for the individual goes for the whole Klai Yisrael. And the Holocaust was that situation. And that's why it's topsy-turvy. Why would God do that? Six million Jews, it's unheard of. But like I say, but when you realize that God is dealing with the totality of all Jews, and he's looking at all their minority bad deals over thousands of years, so what God said, instead of having bring each one back to deal with their minority bad stuff, because they're all headed for Ilam Abba, right? What he did is he said, okay, I'm going to deal in six years, from 1939 until 1945. I'm going to get rid of all the minority. But what he did was something more. So in that sense, it's like the Pittsburgh, what happened? What he did is that he could have dealt with all these people by having them suffer, you see. But what he did was extraordinary. What God did is extraordinary. You can understand. What he made them, he made them all die Akidish Hashem. Six million Jews died because they were Jews, which incredibly increased their ilm habo. It's interesting, you know. It means their number was up, you know, and God had to deal with the minorities, all the minority bad de deeds of all Jews for thousands of years through all the transmigrations of their sinishamas, their souls. You see, and He dealt with it in the Holocaust. That's really what the Holocaust is. You see, but what He did is not only did the Holocaust, uh, what he called, undo all the minority, it, it compensated for all the minority bad, which you now understand what God does, but he increased the, the scha, since anyway they want to die, he increased the reward of everybody who died in the Holocaust a thousandfold because they died our Kiddush Hashem, instead of just like the, the group, unfortunately, in Pittsburgh, you know. Uh, and therefore, their reward, Noilim Habo, is almost infinitely greater because they all died because they were Jews. So, in that sense, you see, people don't recognize that. You know, God knows exactly what He's doing. They don't recognize that. What do you mean? What do you mean? I, I could kill so many Jews. No, no, no. God decides who lives and dies and when they die and why and so on. And that's what He basically did. You know, it's from the Ramchal's explanation, you now understand the fundamental, there are other ideas of the Holocaust, by the way, but the fundamental logic of the Holocaust is exactly what the Ramchal is saying. You need to deal with the minority of bad, because Oilam Haba is a place that all of it has to vanish, all the bad stuff, in order to be a perfected community. So the perfected community in Oilam Haba is now with all those Jews, and it's much greater because, like I say, they all died on Kiddush Hashem. I want to tell you something. You're right, but here's the answer. We don't know the measure of bad. 
See, this is the problem. We don't know. Is it worth, you know, five degrees of Yisurin, 50 degrees of Yisurin? So you're right. But apparently what it means is that whatever Yisurin all of these people had was not enough. Now, we don't know the measure, you see. But in, in some day, God was, in some day, God's going to show you what the measure was, you see. And it wasn't enough. It to us, we, we can't understand that. We're talking about a gullus of 2,000 years. You know, we say, hey, 2,000 years of gullus. I mean, that's beyond belief, the amount of Yisurin and suffering, you see. But God, for whatever reason, understands it wasn't enough. We don't know why, right? So the Holocaust had to be what's called the, the final coup de grace. It was the final measure that I believe not only wiped the, the slate clean of all those Jews. And I want to tell you something. Um, there's what's called piggybacks, where one neshama can go into, it's called an ibor, into a person. You can have two neshamas in one goof. So therefore what happened was, yeah, whatever, it's all part of Gilgulim and all that. Oh yeah, so I believe what happened is God sent who knows how many souls that had to also undo the minorities, right? And he had them connect with these Jews that were going to die in the Holocaust. So it comes out that it wasn't just one guy that died in the Holocaust. It was him and his Ibu Nishama, which is the, the, the soul that got connected to that soul. So both of them had, was, were, were cleaned up and both of them therefore get Oilam Habo in an infinite way because they died at Hashem. Look, you know, we, you think you know what's going on? We have no concept of what's going on in the end. In the end, we will know the answer to all of this. But I believe that's also what happened. In other words, the Holocaust was what's called a massive compensatory event that cleaned the slate for all the minority bad deeds that were done by all the Jews over the thousands of years uh, and all the transmigration of the souls. Even though we have no idea what that means and what do you mean? They didn't expiate their sins in thousands of years of Golas. Whatever the cheshben is, no, the answer is not. We don't know why. We don't know what the measure is. Someday we'll know it. Now there are other things that the Holocaust did, but that is a primary concept. That's it, yeah. What was that? Does this, what the Rav just said, does it succeed this process even without the individual's kavana? Meaning, yes. an atheist Jew that's getting shot by the Nazis, he, he's getting... Yeah, going, yeah. He, he's he just got murdered. So what? He just got murdered. Why he dying? He doesn't believe he's anything special about being a Jew. Again, God will look at this atheist and we're his majority and his minority. And maybe in previous Gulam, he wasn't an atheist. You, you're looking at one lifetime. God looks at a guy, a guy could have come back 3,000 times, you know, uh, 400 times. We don't know. You understand what I'm saying? God can play around with 6,000 years. We're stuck with one lifetime. Alavai, we should make it to 90. God looks at the world thousands of years and he knows exactly where everybody's holding. In principle, if it's one lifetime, you should need kavana. The, the Jew should need some kind of. Yeah. You need more kavana. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Yeah. It was one life in principle. But 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 like I say, you know, the guy did die al kiddush Hashem. He died because he was Jewish, and that indirectly or actually directly is sanctifying the name of God because he died as a Jew. Don't make a difference. Don't make a difference. 
you know? The other problem here, I think, is if you try to say that the Holocaust was somehow the will of Hashem, then the Nazis were doing the will of Hashem, but they were totally destroyed at the end of the war. So you know, no, 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 that's the old question. Because if they are complying with the will of God, that's a famous by, question. By the British, Americans, and Russians. And the answer is, yeah. right? The problem is the answer the, the, the there are several answers to that. Uh, one of the answers that they say, and it's a famous question, by the way, you know, if they are complying with your agenda, so on the contrary, you don't kill your agent, right? Shlia. But one of the ideas is they overdid it. That's that's one answer, you know, and so on, you know. The second answer, uh, which I think is much more. Uh, it makes more sense in a certain way, is that, uh, did God force them to do this? No. You know, what happens is God knows who's going to do evil. So what he does is he gives that person the wherewithal to do the evil. But that person chose to do evil through free will. God just did not interfere with him, but he allowed the person to go and do it, and therefore it's true. In other words, in other words you're going to do evil. I know you want to murder Jews, right? God's looking around, right? And he sees this guy, this, this painter, whatever he was, his name is Adolf Hitler, right? The guy's in Austria, right? And he knows that, you know, this guy's going to, uh, he's going to kill Jews, right? So God says, okay, I know you're going to do it, because that's what you want to do. I'm going to just give you the success. I won't interfere with you. I want to tell you something. There's a story about Hitler. You know, Hitler fought in World War I. I don't know if you know this story. Hitler was in a barracks in World War I, you know? And, he, and in, in the night, he woke up. He said he just had a nightmare. What was the nightmare? Hitler. It's the story of Hitler, you know, in World War I. I was a soldier in World War I. You know, what was the dream? It was a terrible dream. He dreamt that a bomb fell on his barracks and everybody died. Where he was sleeping, you know. He was so moved by that, he ran out of the barracks, you know. He ran out, you know. And five minutes later, a bomb hit the barracks and everybody died. He was spared. Now, is this coincidence? And he was spared. Can you imagine if that would have killed him? No World War, no Holocaust, right? So what God did is he saved his life. That's what he did. It's not the first time. Like I said, the army wants to kill this guy. Every, you know, there was so many attempts on his life. And God, remember the famous one? Where the guy put a bomb on one side of the desk? You know, some guy was sitting there, you know, he saw this. So he took that and put it on the other side of the desk and there was a thick leg there, you know. And that's what saved his life. I mean, what is this? You know, because like I said, it's very hard to find a guy that has free will and wants to do this kind of evil. So he, it was unique. So why? Because God decided based on his judgment that the Jews needed this type of experience, like I'm saying, right? And therefore he saved Hitler. It was incredible. You know, but that's what it is. God chooses people that he knows, he knows the future. He knows what they will choose freely. So he merely allows them to do it and gives them the ability, right, to do that, you know. But they're still accountable because, hey, you wanted to do it with your free will. I didn't force you to do it. I didn't put in your mind to kill the Jews. See, then you'd be right. You put in my mind, what do you want from me? That's how it works. That, that's really the answer. You know, God takes advantage of his foreknowledge. That's really the answer. Yeah. What was that? It's like that 
general in the, in the story of the Churban. <coughs> There's one general that first started shooting arrows to try and divine where it Yeah. Should. What's and in um, the Yeah, because. No, 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 no. Nevuzadin? What's his name? Nevuzadin. Yeah, was this. No, 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 no. The point is, he was chosen by Hashem, and Hashem said, and he said, you're not going to, the word he uses is Hashem's trying to kill his kids and then wipe his hands clean on me. Yeah, but the thing is, if God wanted, if God wanted to impose on this person and take away his free will, right, he would never have come to that conclusion. He didn't have free will, that's the point. No, he did have free will. He did have free will, right. No, no, that's the proof. Right. That God wanted to use a guy that at that point in time wanted to kill Jews. Because he was he was a general or something like that, right? But he had free will. He realized what was going on, and he, he, so he, he, he exactly he chapped. You he know, but that's unusual. Him. Yeah, well, yeah, yeah. Because he exactly that's what God does. God uses his foreknowledge, right, to allow people to do their evil, and they accommodate his agenda. At the same time, they're guilty. You know. You got a volunteer for the job. <laughs> well, yes, yeah. You'll be qualified. For the job. That's why, yeah, you got, you know. And that's why God saved, I mean, this World War I story is incredible. God that's saved right. his life. Everybody just died. <laughs> they, they bombed the barrack and they, everybody was killed. And he had, this, he had this dream. And he ran out. He was so moved. It was saved. You imagine if he wouldn't have run out? That's how God runs the world, you know? It's, it's reported anyway. Said that he came one day with rifles, Chavos Chaim Yeshiva. Yeah. He said, We're going to fight the communists, these Jewish communists. Are going to, it's a mitzvah fight. But it didn't come back, I don't know why. <coughs> so his Talmudim, I feel one of them, we So my question is the, the radical Jews today, Diane Feinstein, Chuck Schumer, these high profile radical Jews, what should be, what would the Chavos Chaim tell us to do today with them? With them? What do we do with them? Yeah, well, they're a rav. So, how do we, what we're doing? They're a shoyim. What do we do? They are, they are, they, I tell you, when, when they come up for judgment, you don't even want to be next to them. No, but if it was us, our Ishtalus against them, like, the Jewish community we, has a low key, we don't... Okay, yeah, that's a different question, you know. know. Well, that's how, how do you respond to that kind of stuff, you know? No, These are evil people. These are air of rav. I mean, well, yeah, you do what you can, you know, you do what you can, you know. Look, the Jews are always stuck. What do they do? If somebody wants to kill them, they try to placate them, you know, pass by. Jews are always stuck what to do, you know. When the, when the communists, remember the, uh, what he called Russian, the Jews get out of Russia, should they make a big tumult or not? Right. And there were people on both sides. The mayor Kahana, you know, right. he said, you got to make a big tumult. And in the end, that's what he did. Who knows, maybe that's what really would work. And then other people said, no, you have to have quiet diplomacy. There's, it's always argument. It's never clear what to do, you know? You know, and so on, you know? But, uh, but these, the Pittsburgh... Yeah, Soviet jury. I was a Soviet jury. Would you say that we're kind of in a dangerous... Specifically, us, Yidden, are in the more dangerous because these high-profile radical Jews are... The Goyim are hot, they're... they're they're making statements that are angering well, there's clearly these, these neo-Nazi white supremacists. Yeah, there's clearly... Who's are taking over America. What are you telling us what they're doing? Look, anti-Semitism is among the oldest hatreds in the world, right? 
it doesn't make sense why you should hate a population of people that's less than one quarter of one percent of the world's population. I mean, come on. There's, no, there's not even a dot. Well, y y yes. She was very, very prom. No, no. There's more Chinese in America, but Chinese are not making, they're not making politics. They may, the Jews may be prominent, you know, but that the, what they ascribe to these Jews, that they really are, uh, they're taking over the world, it's, it's beyond belief. They, look, look, people hate the Jews for many reasons. Many reasons, you know, there's one of the primary is jealousy and so on and so forth because they see Jews and they are successful because God has not abandoned the Jewish people. So he gives them success. That, that's why, not because, you know, the Jews are smart, but it has nothing to do with their success. The success is because of what God says. Even when they're in exile, I will not, uh, uh, you know, uh, I will not uh, abhor them and so on and so forth. Even in the Golis, God will give Jews success, and He gives them tremendous success. You know, people see that, and they're incredibly jealous. I believe there are many other reasons for anti-Semitism, but the problem in America is there is a rise of anti-Semitism. There's no question about that. Yeah, there is, you know. And I think, uh, you know, a lot of it is, uh, you know, now anti-Semitism has a new masquerade. It's called anti-Israel. Same thing. It's always the same thing, but uh, uh, now there is a rise, there's a definite rise in anti-Semitism, you know. I think because we're coming near the end, and the Sutton has gone bananas. 